Good morning, City Light. Good morning. Welcome here. It's Resurrection Sunday, y'all. Come on. It's Easter. I want you to know out of the gate, you slept in, so I expect a lot more from you as I'm up here preaching. Okay? You got your sleep. My name's Glenn. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, and man, if you're new or visiting with us, I just want to say a warm welcome to you. Thanks for joining CLB on this Sunday morning. Um, if you brought your Bible or a device, I want you to go to John chapter 20. Gospel of John chapter 20. So dating back to, uh, man, a year and a quarter ago, January of 2021, we have been on and off working our way through an account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And it's been written by a dear friend and student of his who walked with him for three years in his earthly ministry. His name's John. This morning, church, oh man, this morning we come to a scene. And it's the scene of a tomb. And it's a tomb that for three days was occupied by a crucified Jewish carpenter and rabbi. It's a scene where there's a tomb that played host to the lifeless body of a man who never sinned, who never dishonored the holiness or righteousness of God in thought, word, or deed. That's a real life that was lived on this earth by one man. It's a a tomb where God the Son, murdered at the hands of sinful men, lay dead. And this morning, your boy's on a mission. I came here with an aim today to declare to you, as I'm standing before you in a gym, in an elementary school, in the great state of Nebraska, in the year of our Lord, 2022, that tomb did not stay the home of Jesus. Jesus did not stay dead. He rose again. He is alive. That is the message, the great message, the paramount message, not of just Easter Sunday, but of all of human history. Not of just Easter Sunday, but of the whole world. Uh, We look at the tomb and we see the message of the gospel affirmed, approved, accepted because Jesus rose again. And he has all authority to forgive sin. He has all authority to vanquish the sorrow of death judgment from God, separation from God, slavery to sin, Jesus himself holds the power, and it's resurrection power. And so on this Sunday, we celebrate that. This morning, I want to accomplish a few things among us. I want to, I want to take the Bible and open to John chapter 20, and I want to just read the first half of the chapter, and I want us to just take in the firsthand experience of Mary, John, and Peter as three days after Jesus was crucified, They rolled up on this tomb. What did they see? What did they experience? Then after that, more chiefly, I want us to do something. I want us to pay attention, as we should, to the words of a man who was dead and came back to life. If you knew someone to be dead, you were at their funeral. You witnessed their burial. And a few days later, that person confronted you. Would you be quick to talk or do you think you'd want them to be quick to talk? I would not want to say much. I would say, please say words. Please just say some words. I will listen. You have my attention. That's what we're going to do. And here's what's at stake as we read this. I get the sense that there are Christian people, self-proclaimed Christians who walk into a church here in Bennington on this particular Sunday, and, and we're not experiencing and living in the resurrection of Jesus. And I think there's a word that Jesus is going to have for you this morning. Additionally, I think there are people who come in here this morning And perhaps if you were honest with yourself, you would say, I've not bowed my knee to Jesus. I actually am am not a Christian. I'm here 
because a family member wanted me to come. A loved one invited me. Um, I see the value of, of this holiday, and so I want to come and, and, and put this in. So I am so glad you're here, and I think Jesus is going to have a word for you too. Uh, here's what's at stake. This is not just another traditional religious gathering. The Apostle Paul in the Bible says that if Christ is not risen, then our lives are lived in vain. Uh, we are actually the most to be pitied of all people groups on the earth. And so the inverse of that, that implies that our entire lives as Christians are built around Jesus being alive. He's not a dead historical figure, a great teacher who walked the earth at one point. He is alive. And so uh, what I want to do is I want to just jump in. And I want you to read along with me and just take in this scene, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran, I imagine fast, and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's our author, John, the one whom Jesus loved. He wants you to know that Jesus loves him more than anyone else and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were both going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. It's imperative that you know from the author, John, that his 40 time is faster than the other. <laughs> he reached the tomb first. That's, that's a verse in your Bible right there. It's really important. Verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, just to be clear once again. And went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Very peculiar. You would never find that if someone's body was robbed from a tomb. Then the other disciple, who again had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. The scripture, friends, much of which was written 500, 600, 700, 800 years before Jesus. Prophetic words written that said there will be someone who comes. And before crucifixion was ever even invented, crucifixion was predicted. Um, Jesus came and he died. And it was prophesied that he would rise again. And he did. The disciples are so bewildered by this right in front of their eyes, they just can't even comprehend. They immediately are going, where's the body? Jesus rose. We're going to see that play out. The disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Again, she can't even comprehend. Verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, and this is the greatest one word sermon ever preached. Many of us have had this sermon preached to us, our name from the voice of God, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And when, and that he had said these things to her. 
All throughout the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Jesus makes the unparalleled and unprecedented claim that he will die, and on the third day he will rise from the grave. Jesus made that prediction, and here it is realized for the first time by Mary. What Jesus had prophesied has come to pass. Mary is looking into, can you imagine this? Mary is looking into the battered eyes of the Savior of the world, the Lord of all creation. He lives! He's alive. Pick it up with me in verse 19 as we see what this resurrected Jesus has to say now to his disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were what? Glad when they saw the Lord. The resurrection of Jesus declares to us this morning, friends, pardon and peace. Standing among them, Jesus says, peace be with you. He is in a resurrected body. He's bearing the scars and wounds of his crucifixion. And as he shows his followers these marks, they are glad. Why? It may be just because they're seeing Jesus again. But I want to ask a question, friends. What if Jesus' death wasn't acceptable to God? What if he actually somehow had sinned and was not a perfect sacrifice? How does every follower of Jesus have assurance that his death really does cover sin and satisfy God's judgment? Because Jesus was made alive again. God raising Jesus from the grave was God saying, that doesn't need to happen again. The work of suffering and dying for sins is over. No penalty was left to pay, no wrath to bear. Jesus' sacrifice was proven perfect. Where the story was once tragic because sin broke our peace with God, it was now joyful. There was gladness. There was joy evermore. There was rejoicing because of what Jesus declared in his death. It is finished. And what Jesus declared in his life, peace be with you. Paul wrote in Romans 4.25, he was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised to life to make us right with God, to be our justification. So let's take it in again and again, church. It can never get old. If you love and follow Jesus, your guilt has been covered. Your record cleared, your righteousness secure before God. Christian, the next time that you bow your head in solitude to pray, think about this. The next time you're privately wanting to stop and pray to God before you say anything, before anything comes out of your mouth, before you start to say, God, I'm sorry I did that, or you want to explain something or defend yourself or lament or grieve something, or you want to say, God, it was on me, God first declares to you every time, peace be with you, removing from our hearts all fear, all confusion, all doubt as to where we stand with the God of the universe. Hallelujah. Because Jesus lives, you have been pardoned. The resurrection of Jesus also declares the peace of shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew term that's used often in the scriptures for wholeness and tranquility. And the thing about shalom is that it's actually impenetrable by your circumstances. It has nothing to do with what's happening around you in your life. It is a tranquility and a wholeness and a true peace that exists despite circumstances. Listen, y'all don't need me to tell you right now, we need peace. We need peace. The world today needs shalom. 
Today we celebrate the most joyful day, the most hope-filled day in history. And yet at the same time, many of us, we're coming off of two years of a global pandemic. It's affected all of our lives in some way. Some much closer to home than others. We have war and the threat of war abroad right now. There are culture wars right here at home. Chaos and division and manipulation and and spun narratives and a thousand other things that we could list off. We got problems. But the story of the Bible tells us of the curse of sin and death. This shouldn't surprise us according to the wisdom of God. You see, there's a corruption of sin in the natural world. There are viruses and diseases that literally attach themselves to healthy cells in the human body and pull them toward death, destroying bodies stealing people's quality of life. There's a corruption of the human heart that each and every one of us experiences. It's expressed in our own life. We get angry, conflicted. There's abuse, there's violence, there's self-obsession and self-worship and pride. It's rampant among us and it causes us to say things out of our mouth that we never thought we'd say, to do things and make decisions we never thought that we would make. To dishonor God and demean one another. And none of us in this room is immune to that. There's a corruption of the spiritual realm at work in the world. The enemy and demonic forces that live to deceive and derail worshipers of Jesus. And put us into the pit of doubt and despair and fear and even depression. Some of what I'm saying is all too personal for you. You're in here this morning and right now you're fighting battles. You're fighting demons. You're fighting temptations. You're fighting for hope and meaning and stability in your life. You and I, we are living under this great cloud of the curse of sin after the fall in Genesis chapter 3. It rears its ugly head within us. It rears its ugly head around us, friends. It's in these fragile moments, these times where we feel our weakest, where maybe we feel our most hopeless, that we're reminded of our deep need for salvation. We need salvation. It should remind us how much we need a savior who brings good news at this hour in history, who brings good news to your family, who brings good news to your heart, good news to this chapter of your life and your story. Good news, good news, good news. There is a Jesus who delivers that good news and it should remind us of how much we need someone, capital S, who can promise us much better. Many of us in the room have tasted and seen that much better. We know the kind of hope and joy and peace that Jesus brings. So Christian, I would propose to you this morning that it's not out of place to celebrate. It's not out of place to have laughter today. It's not out of place to have joy and thanksgiving today. Even though you are up against something that is very, very difficult in your life. The resurrection of Jesus shows us that history is moving toward a better future than our finite minds could think possible. Christian, Christian, God, God will make all things new. God will make all things right. The best of your story and my story is in front of us both in this life right now and especially in the life to come. Just like we're all ready for the gray winter nasty clouds of Omaha to get out of here. So has God promised that the shroud of sin and its curse will pass away. And indeed it already is passing away. The kingdom of God is here. His rule and reign in everyone's hearts is here. Jesus is king of Bennington. Jesus is king of this community. 
He's king of the world. Every threat we face is no match for the resurrection of Jesus. He is an anchor for peace today, and he gives us the promise of peace for eternity. Amen? Amen. Jesus himself said in John 14, 27, hear it from his lips. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. The resurrection of Jesus declares pardon and it declares peace. But that's not where it ends. That's not where it ends. Don't miss this. Jesus gives us pardon and he gives us shalom as a means toward something. Jesus says it right away starting in verse 21. He said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The resurrection of Jesus declares power and it declares purpose. Yes, I alliterated four different Ps so far. If you go back to Ezekiel, you don't have to turn there. It's not going to be up on the screen. I want to read you something. There's a story in the book of Ezekiel. A prophet is called by God and he says, The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. You shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord In the previous chapter, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my way. A little over a month after these moments, Jesus with his disciples appearing more than 500 different people Jesus would then ascend into heaven don't forget back in verse 17 he said to Mary don't cling to me I have to ascend and when Jesus leaves what does he do the same breath that created all things the same breath that brought a valley of dry bones to live and worship God the same breath that rose Jesus from the grave that Breath is placed in you and me, and we are a new creation because of God the Spirit. Jesus declares that his resurrection, not just, pay attention, not just that he's alive, but that he's alive in us. He's alive in you. His Spirit dwells in you. He said, it is to your advantage that I go away, because I will send an advocate, I will send a helper. I will send my spirit and it will bring life to your bones. Church, I just want to say this. One of the greatest evidences for the resurrection of Jesus is that billions of people across the globe are not who they once were. People are not who they once were. Lives have been changed. Our wants and our desires and the things that we bow down to and pledge our life to, they're not the same. 
Things have changed in us. And this is the story of many folks in this church, many in this community, in this city, in our country, in the world, across the globe. We have all joined the song and added to our testimony to the resurrection of power that's been present in our world since the day Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus gives us power. Paul writes in Philippians 2, 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Christian, here's the application. If you need encouragement this morning, here it is. Distance from God is not a thing for your life. That's not a conceivable reality for you. Distance from God, not your life in Christ. Powerlessness, not your life in Christ. That's not a thing for you to not know strength and power that goes beyond what you have. Your reality is that God is as close to you as the breath in your lungs. Your reality is that you can have a daily conscious awareness of his Holy Spirit residing in you. Your reality is that you do not have to travel somewhere, talk to someone, perform anything in order to come into the presence of God. He is with you right now, right here, by faith in Jesus. You can also have a daily conscious access to his divine help. He's here to help. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He is the God of all comfort. You have this because Jesus is alive. If Jesus were dead in the grave, this would not be a reality to us. So dare I say, sensing the same power in your life that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is not hyper-spiritual. That shouldn't be foreign to us but all too familiar to us as believers. And it's this resurrection power that gives our life purpose. It sets us on a course. We say this a lot in our church, but this is, whoever you are, this is what we want to say. God has a greater vision for your life than you do. And on top of that, God is a better leader of your life than you are. He made you. My own story is this. I was what the Bible calls spiritually dead. I wasn't just a guy making dumb decisions and living selfishly and chasing women and then I decided to get a job and get gainfully employed and made some better decisions and now me and God are good no no no. I was dead inside I wasn't sensitive to God his love for me his purpose and will for my life I didn't long for a relationship with the one who made me I was sinning against him willingly debating with him believing that he was there but disagreeing with him and ignoring him I kept telling God who he was based on what I felt he should be and not who he showed himself to be to me and when I went off to college I was depressed and lonely I had no career direction I never felt like I was enough for any friendship or relationship outside of the fool that I could be in the party scene I didn't have a sense of identity I compartmentalized my life as a brother as a son as a a friend, as a classmate, as a teammate. No sense of who I was. and I could have ignored it, but at a point in my junior year of college, something was crying out in me. I needed someone to speak to the emptiness, the aimlessness, the meaninglessness that I was feeling. And it was in my junior year, don't miss this, that I was hunted down by a group of Christian peers. 
who would not take no for an answer for me to come and spend time with them. And all they wanted was my presence and nothing else. No demands from me. Come. You belong. Come in your weakness. There's a God who gives grace. I found this group of peers to be part of a local church that was ordinary, average people, men and women, who had been freed from addictions, freed from a life of self-obsession, freed from strongholds, freed from depression and anxiety, people who were ordinary men and women who claimed peace and joy and hope in the name of Jesus, people in my life around me who revered God and had their knee bowed down to him every day because simply he was God. And I saw, and this was very new to me, people who were completely unashamed about their allegiance to Jesus in the classroom and in their workplace. And that's when I really started reading my Bible. It was in God's word reading it on my own as a grown man, not from any religious influence in my life, letting the words of scripture confront me that I actually found life. My longings were spoke to, my identity, my need for salvation, my need for forgiveness. It all made sense to me and the seeds that were sown by my parents for so many years in the home growing up finally bore fruit and reaped a real harvest. And here's what I need us to understand. Please don't miss this. My mom and dad could have focused more on my athletic and academic and social success. They didn't. Peers in college could have focused more on not offending me. They didn't. People in their Christian faith could have been privatized around me. They weren't. I could have met a group of people who were Christians on Sunday and acknowledged Jesus with their lips, but denied him with their life. They didn't. I went to a local church that could have feared me or been concerned that I would be offended by something, could have softened the preaching of God's grace to hell-bound sinners. They didn't. I was surrounded by people who took very seriously the purpose given to them by Jesus. He said, so I am sending you to bear the message of a God who loves, a God who forgives, a God who redeems, a God who restores, a God who gives meaning, a God who gives power, a God who gives peace, a God who gives pardon. My own story grew in me a burden and a responsibility to continue in that purpose as an evangelist on the college campus for seven years. That's what gripped me to plant this church with so many of you in this room. And it's our vision in our church to continue to see that family business carried out. To participate with God in his mission to seek and save the lost. To be the sent ones of Jesus. To appeal to people to be reconciled to God. To know him and have eternal life in him. And experience his grace all over their life. Christian, I'm going to say this twice. You have been sent. Christian, you, yes you, have been sent. You have been given a commission go and make disciples and I want you to understand that that commission that calling does not come from an old prophet a philosopher a sage a poet who lies dead in the grave it comes from the living resurrected throne God in heaven that's who it comes from Jesus is ruling and reigning over all right now and this is the work he's already doing by his spirit he's merely inviting us come with me Participate with me. 
I have a greater vision for your life. That not only I would change you, not only that I would give you resurrection life, but that I would use you to bear witness through the power of my Holy Spirit that others can see me and know me and walk with me too. And it's Jesus who promises to be with you in that calling, to sustain you, to provide for you, to empower you. Consider today how because of the resurrection, your life might bear more explicit testimony to Jesus. And would you go with purpose and brag on Jesus in every area of your life without shame? The resurrection of Jesus declares for you and I power and it declares purpose. And finally this morning, the resurrection of Jesus declares opportunity. Opportunity. I want you to pick it up with me in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my fingers into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, come here. Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. And friends, don't miss this. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I wonder if you're sitting here this morning, somebody dragged you to this elementary school gym. It's Easter. You kind of didn't want to come. You're here. A family member is being honored because you showed up this morning. You would say, I'm not yet a Christian. I want to take these moments to talk to you. Perhaps you're like Thomas, and in your life thus far, your proclamation has been, unless fill in the blank. Unless fill in the blank. Unless I see something, unless I witness something, unless something finally makes sense, unless I have an emotion that I finally feel something, I will never believe. I have a word for you this morning. Here's the reality. You're actually not waiting on God to prove himself right now. God is waiting on you to exercise faith. You see, we're not talking about any religious figure. We're talking about the maker of heaven and earth. The creator and sustainer of all things. The almighty God. The one who you will face when you taste death. The one who you will stand in front of and have to answer to. He answers to no one. And he gives you the opportunity to believe. And he still is giving you the opportunity to believe. Just like he's given me and many folks in this room the opportunity to believe. God does not have to do this. What's startling isn't that we don't have more evidence for God, but that we have ample evidence for God and that he's patient with us. 2 Peter 3.9 says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want to be very clear this morning that Jesus is telling you, do not disbelieve, but believe. And that ultimately you don't answer to a church, you don't answer to your family members, you don't answer to any friends, you will answer to him. I want to be crystal clear this morning, the essential of the Christian faith is not any kind of uh, philosophy that we think on, it's not a particular organization or religious tradition, it's not 
life principles to live by, at the heart and the core and the essence of the Christian faith is a living person, Jesus Christ. A living God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Other religious leaders and scholars have speculated the origin and the meaning of the universe and our ultimate destiny and what's good and what's evil and what's godlike and what about the afterlife and millions of people have added their voice to that debate for millennia none of them have shown their authority by canceling their own funeral and rising from the grave Jesus alone has done that I want you to see I long we long for you to see God himself longs for you to see that the resurrected Jesus sets himself apart from any other world religion, theory, myth. It is his longing that we would all declare with Thomas in verse 28 when he chooses to believe, my Lord and my God. That is boiled down the statement of faith for a Christian. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. That's it. That's the starting place. The very reason that this book was authored so that you and I, 2,000 years later, could read it, we would have the opportunity to believe. Those who find Jesus find pardon for their sin. They find peace today and peace forever. They find a power and a strength in life that's much greater than theirs from the one who made them and created them. They find a restored relationship with God. They find a teacher. They find a purpose. They find a friend closer than a brother. They find a helper. They find the Savior. Finding Jesus is finding life itself. Look at our final verses starting in verse 29. Jesus said to them, have you believed because you have seen me? Y'all listen to this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Amen? Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life, eternal life, is not something that begins when we die. Eternal life is something that begins the moment that you place your faith in Jesus. Eternal life is knowing God. Knowing and experiencing his love and his grace. And an ongoing, interactive relationship with Almighty God. My question this morning is, do you know him? Have you confessed your sin before him? Have you asked for his pardon and his forgiveness? He would freely give it to you. Have you said, take my life, it's yours. I surrender it to you, I bow down. You are God, I am not. You can do that today. If you're a person who's made your way into this gym, let God draw you into his family today. Receive his grace. It's offered to you freely. Receive it by faith in Jesus. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Would you bow your head, close your eyes and pray with me. God, we pray for the Christian in the room, the believer in the room, the born again saint in the room. Simply, that if we have not been living in light of your resurrection, that today we would claim your resurrection afresh. We would live with a sense of pardon, a security with you, a power from you, a purpose in you. 
God, I pray right now for the person in the room who has not yet bowed their knee to Jesus. God, I pray they sense your presence today. That they would actually declare today, Jesus, you are Savior and Lord. I want you to be my Savior and Lord. God, I'm praying that you would help people in this room to take the small, simple, yet profound step of faith. Even if they don't have all the answers. Even if they don't see you to say, yet I believe. And they will be blessed. God, I pray for that faith. I pray for that person in the room who would make that step of faith this morning, that you would give them the courage to step into the back of this gym and talk to one of our pastors, to pray with us, to ask us questions, God, to seek you. You promised, you said in the book of James, God, that you draw near to those who draw near to you. Would people draw near to you today afresh? We ask this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.